tied for the most terrifying day of my life. I was what? Every other freaking day of my life. <laughs> How are you doing, you wonderful nerds? Scott here, and it is day nine of the Month of Monsters uh, Scooby-Doo podcast. And uh, if you are, for some reason, tuning in at day nine of this weird thing, uh, the whole thing is that I'm watching Monsters Unleashed, or Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. God, it's important to say the full title. And I am having different guests on uh, every single day. And today, we have a special guest from the YouTubes, Captain Midnight. How's it going? It's going pretty good. So tell everyone about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Captain Midnight, and on my channel, also called Captain Midnight, I uh, make video essays usually about superhero movies, superhero, superhero stuff in general, but I don't know. Also, been trying to get more into uh, just film in general. Yeah, and what better place to start than Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, in oh, my yeah, opinion. The, probably the most important movie of the 2000s, I mean, yes. easily. 100%. So, my first question is always, have you seen this movie prior to me asking you to do it for this podcast? So, I actually have a really weirdly specific history with this movie. Oh, do tell. I, uh... So... When I was a kid, I had this tradition with one of my friends that I would go see two movies with them, like the month of my birthday, um, like back to back, like a double feature. Yeah. And I think the year this came out, I saw this and I want to say Hildago. Um, yeah. The you, you remember the horse movie with? Yes. Yeah. Vaguely. I think that was out this year. Yeah. But uh I think we watched Hildago first, and this was second, and right before the end reveal of who actually, you know, was behind it all, the projector just broke. Oh, no. And so until this week, I never knew who was behind all of the shenanigans in um, in yes. Scooby-Doo 2. That's incredible. Did it... Did it- like burn in your mind for all of these it's been like over a decade since yeah the movie came out yeah it's like it was one of those things of the fact that that happened has always made me like like i probably remember this movie better because that happened right like yeah it just stuck in my mind of like man i should see that again sometime that's interesting because like now i'm wondering if are you are you familiar with the concept of uh, like J.J. Abrams' mystery box? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if I ruined the mystery box for you. <laughs> yeah. Forever now, I'll just it, you know just the the illusion and magic of the movie's gone. But yeah. <laughs> I think it was worth it. It was a pretty good reveal. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, you can probably just Google it. But it's the idea that like in unsolved mystery or like you know it gets your imagination going and it's more magical that way if you don't really know all the details of whatever but like yeah and i feel like me being like no but watch this movie again and you watched it all the way through now you're just like well all of that mystery is gone and this is the final answer yeah all of the uh lost-esque mystery has just yeah. been evaporated that's right uh that's a good that's an apt comparison i think that scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed is basically the lost of f- cinema yeah i, I mean say. they came out the same year so 
did they i didn't even realize that but yeah that 2004 this was an exciting year for 11 year old me well you know what else i learned um is this movie came out in 2004 like you said and the first one came out in 2002 so there were as many like with the frequency of scooby-doo movies there was also the frequency of spider-man movies like they all they oh, each came weird. out that same yeah and it's just i mean if you had to pick a protagonist with a hyphen in their name would you rather <laughs> see a scooby-doo movie or a spider-man movie well, I mean, at this point, there is no stopping Spider-Man movies. They're going to keep just cranking them out forever. So, mm-hmm. you know, why not give Scooby-Doo another shot? Why not indulge a little bit? For sure. Uh, so, was there was there anything that, that like, stood out to you the, mo- the most about this? Is there anything that you want to get into and talk about? Because I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this movie. Yeah, so this movie... Um, Watching it again, I watched this. I watched the second one, and then I went back and watched the first half of the first movie. Okay, great. You're te- you're unwittingly testing a theory of mine, which is yeah. that they they work better in reverse order, in my opinion. Oh, see, here's the thing. I, I think the second movie is uh is a lot lot better than the first movie. Yes, yes, thank you, I agree. <laughs> and I also think that the problems that I have with the second movie almost always, or almost like entirely come out of the fact that it has to, in a small way at least, abide by what was set up in the uh, first movie. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of references to the first movie. I don't think there's any. No, But just none. the general, like, oh, they've been the Scooby gang for a long time. Um, my problems with the this version of the Scooby franchise, I think, can almost entirely be traced to that first movie's script from uh, James Gunn. Yeah. I think that, uh, like, if you look at James Gunn's career... I think that the James Gunn of of Scooby-Doo 2 and especially like five years after this movie would have been so good at writing that first introduction to live action Scooby-Doo. Mm, yeah. But if you look at where he was in his career when he wrote that first movie, you know, he was very like he was just doing like trauma horror stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I think he was trying way too hard to be like really edgy and clever and I don't know. That first movie seems like it's almost a shame to be a Scooby-Doo movie. Yes. This that's so interesting cuz you're not the first person to say that. And I and the more that like the more that I soak it in, like it, you're you're absolutely right. It feels like it wants to poke fun at Scooby-Doo a lot. Um but it doesn't want to ever commit to like the source material a little you know what i mean yeah and and a lot of stuff in that first movie like um you know like shaggy stoner jokes and uh, that fred is like so dumb and stuff those are kind of more like uh extra textual things that fans like adult fans like brought to the show afterwards that didn't actually really exist in the text of you know the scooby-doo show mm-hmm. i i feel like i feel like the first scooby-doo movie is almost just like 
a riff on Scooby-Doo jokes that people had been making for a long time and yeah. not an actual adaptation of uh, Scooby-Doo. Yes, I agree. I think it, because you also have like um, the idea that Daphne is always the, the damsel in distress. So she like tries to turn herself into like a, a black belt and, and fight people. And yeah, it just feels like... It, yeah, it feels like a lot of that stuff was added by adults who would like maybe grew up watching the show thinking like, this is what I think. This is my headcanon. And then they brought that headcanon into the movies. Yeah. And what I think what I like about the second movie a lot more than the first movie is even though there is a lot of that winking at the audience still, uh, the gang in this seems to actually enjoy like being the Scooby gang. Whereas in the first movie, they just like, didn't seem to like each other. And I remember even as a kid being like, man, they're not, they're not seem to be having a lot of fun here. Like it was kind of depressing. Yeah. It seemed like a weird way to start the franchise of Scooby-Doo with them being like, boy, I hate this and I hate you and I quit. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, Vilma and Shaggy and Fred don't hate each other. That's not a thing. That 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 was my uh, thought yeah. process at, I don't know, nine yeah. or whatever. Totally. And like, yeah, it just felt like, I don't know. The, there, are, there have been moments in the cartoons where some of them have um, like gotten into fights, especially more modern cartoons. Like the, the, the gang broke up in, in a series called mystery Inc. Yeah. Um, which is great. I've actually seen that one. Yes. I love mystery Inc. Um, but yeah, it, it, that, but that's more of a modern thing that happened after this, these movies. And yeah, it just didn't quite fit with the tone that they had set. I think. Well, and also mystery Inc. kind of like earned that, you know, like the, First episode didn't start with them like breaking up, you know. They yeah, they, they, they kind of was, built to that over that was time. Like, yeah, that was like a season finale or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they earned it. They they built up to it for sure. It wasn't the introduction to like like that's why I think. And sorry to everyone who's heard me say this a thousand times, but that's why I think the movies work better in reverse because I feel like the second movie gives you more of who the characters are and what they're like, you understand that they've been doing this for a while and their impact of, of catching all the ghosts and, and monsters. And then the first movie, you go back and watch it and suddenly it all, it kind of makes sense why they're just like, they have all this history and yet nah. the, the, you'd have to like fiddle around with some stuff. Like obviously <laughs> Daphne learned how to fight in the first movie and but she she was already fighting the black knight ghost in the second movie pretty well so i don't know yeah, yeah but i i see your point there i just think the first movie should like not exist yeah but you know what let's i will agree with you there i think because there's no there's no point in like they don't connect at all there's no connective tissue between them that you need the context of the first movie to understand the second movie at all which is like i i feel like a lot of people will say like no that's great i don't need a sequel to stand on the legs of of you know the the like movies should stand by themselves or whatever but at the same time like to just completely ignore a movie that came before just feels weird because you want if you're telling a continuous story over a course of several movies then you want there to be some sort of character growth or, you know, some thing, some consequence for their, for what happened prior. But 
it seemed like this movie didn't just forget to talk about the first movie. It just completely intentionally ignored it because they recycled a lot of plot points of like, uh, like Daphne, for example, of like not knowing what her place on the, on the team is. They kind of use that in both, uh, movies. I felt like, and of course there's both, there's the idea of the real monsters and that caught them off guard twice. And it's like, but you, if you would remember the first movie, you know that there are real monsters. Yeah. You know, the idea of real monsters in Scooby-Doo, and I know, I think Mystery Inc. had those too, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I like Mystery Inc., so I guess that worked there. But though real monsters always felt like a betrayal to me. Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember... Um, uh zombie island do you remember that of course yeah yeah i remember seeing that as a kid and it really freaking me out because i was really young yeah and just being like no this this violated the contract of scooby-doo like you know yes i i want to say this because you and i as far as i understand from the internet are in the minority but i agree with you a hundred percent i dislike um, real monsters in Scooby-Doo. I, I love, it's hard for me to say that I dislike zombie Island because the animation is beautiful and and everything is great. But yeah, the concept that the monsters are real was to me a big kind of, yeah, it was a betrayal to Scooby-Doo. Um, that being said, teaser for anyone listening to this. And if you forgot that I have a YouTube channel, I am making a video about this exact concept in the future sometime this month look forward to it but it's this idea that scooby-doo as a franchise exists in between two genres um or or two kind of areas that a uh, a literary critic called the uncanny and the marvelous and i i can't remember which one is which at the moment but the uncanny would be like um this idea that you that the rules of the universe so basically sorry I'm, I'm trying to explain this and this is good practice for my video so tell me if it's boring or uninteresting or whatever um but the the idea is there exists this thing called the fantastic which is a moment in a story um where the reader or the characters don't know which genre they are in currently a something supernatural happens and the reader and the characters have to figure out if the laws of the universe are the same and that supernatural thing can ex- uh, existed because of some law of the universe that it like basically classic Scooby-Doo where there aren't monsters. It's just a person in a costume. So you experience a supernatural thing, a ghost, but it's actually just totally explained away by logic and reason person in a costume or alternatively, there's the other side of it where again, I can't remember which one is marvelous or uncanny but I think the marvelous is the one where you see something supernatural and then it actually turns out to be supernatural. And the laws of the universe are not the same as what you thought they were. And you, you have to update your understanding of the world. And that would be, you see a ghost turns out ghosts are real in, in Scooby-Doo or monsters are real in, in the Scooby-Doo lore. So the whole franchise of Scooby-Doo takes place in this area called the fantastic where 
every new show, every new episode, every new movie, it could go either way because they've established it multiple times. Mystery Inc., these live action movies, Zombie Island, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, they all exist in a place where ghosts and monsters are real. But then you have stuff like the classic Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, and a pup named Scooby-Doo, and What's New Scooby-Doo, where it's always just a person in a costume. So you as an audience member, you don't know which way it could go. And so it makes Scooby-Doo an interesting franchise that exists between those kind of two genres. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Who knew there was so much depth to Scooby-Doo? Yeah. Well, hopefully I can boil all of that down into a video at some point. And if you guys are listening, let me know if that sounds interesting to you. But I, I it was only after exploring Scooby-Doo through that lens that I started to become okay with there being real monsters. I still like the idea that a lot of Scooby-Doo has like a very pro-science, pro-rational thought message where like the supernatural is usually just something completely ordinary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, 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 there is a bit of interesting depth to the idea that maybe there could be something out there. And I think Mystery Inc. explored that really well with like, Velma, even Monsters Unleashed, this movie, explored this idea of Velma being the very logic-based one. And she's like, I, I only trust the world of logic and facts. And <laughs> then Seth Green comes along and says, what does your heart say? <laughs> and says, my whole character arc doesn't make any sense, but yeah. don't pay attention to that. <laughs> it's so, yeah, I don't know. It's this this movie, it, the character arcs in this are just kind of all over the place. For sure. Yeah, the... Uh, the Seth Green character is so strange. Like, I feel like there was something that must must be on the cutting room floor. Um, because it really, like, why was he talking to that guy at the junkyard so angrily? I guess he was being honest that he just wanted to be yeah. a tough guy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then, that was very weird. Yeah, and then he continued to be strange when he was talking to Shaggy, and he was like, <laughs> what's the matter? You don't believe me? He's going to put on a tough act. And he started screaming at them, and it's like, okay. I feel yeah. like this is... I, I agree. There must have been something in the script or in the, the the cutting room floor that just got filmed with him, but like could, didn't make it in the final cut. I guess he uh, he's just an awkward guy. I guess that's our, our big takeaway. He's just very yeah. awkward around strangers, unless they're Velma. Yeah, it's so yeah, because I always I don't know if you were the same way, but I thought he was going to be related to Jacobo or or even Wickles. I haven't quite decided yet. I thought he was going to be related to one of the classic Scooby-Doo villains, like because it could go either way. Right. Like Wickles, who was the the Black Knight ghost originally, um, he in the original cartoons, I believe he was also a museum curator. So I thought, oh, that would be interesting oh, if like yeah. his son was a or grandson or some I don't know was I guess son. Seth Green's not terribly young, but like you know, um, yeah. But also, I just felt like it made more sense if Seth Green's character Patrick was related to jacobo because there's a lot of weird jacobo stuff that doesn't really get explained like i keep hyper focusing on the shrine which is really strange to me <laughs> yeah that that was very weird the whole the whole plot of this movie like i i mean it, it mostly just exists as a structure for you know gags um yeah. but 
when you take it all in, it's like, man, there's a lot of a uh, a lot of threads here that just don't really go anywhere, but are like kind of interesting by themselves. I don't know. Yeah, and because like they each each of the two movies does this thing where they will introduce kind of like a weird plot thread like that, but they don't explain it. Because even afterwards, Patrick goes up to Velma and he's like, "Hey, look, I, I can explain everything." And of course, Velma's whole character arc is she needs to stop trusting in logic and facts so much, which is a weird message to send, I think, because like, yeah, her whole thing is, you know, I only trust the world of, of facts and reason. Yeah. And she gets saved by like, you know, what does your heart say sort of a thing. And then he goes and then after that whole thing, when they unmask the villain, Patrick's like, look, I know I acted strange. I can explain it all. And she's like, no, I trust you. And it's like. But I, as an audience member, would like to know what happened, please. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that was the movie just telling us this This part doesn't matter. Don't, just, don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Because even the, even the first movie, I, I know you, you said you watched like the half of that again, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember the end of it with like Scrappy-Doo, isn't it? Yeah. Or something? Yeah. 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 So there's a part where the gang realizes that that the final plan is that Mondavarius brought them in uh, just so that he could have Scooby and like use Scooby, uh, take Scooby's soul to like blah, 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 whatever. And then somebody asks like, well, if he only needed Scooby, why did he invite all of us here? And then I think Shaggy said something like, it doesn't matter. We have to go save Scoob. And I'm like, no, no, no. That was a really good question that I now want the answer to. Why did he need all of you there? Yeah, I guess by acknowledging it, they just kind of lampshaded a little bit. Yeah, but. that's exactly right. They're like, this is a plot hole, but at least we'll try to acknowledge it and be like, yeah, we understand. But also, uh, just kind of move the plot forward, please. <laughs> I, I will say that uh, just like on a tone level i liked this one so much more in the first one because the gang actually likes each other and a lot of their scenes together were uh were really good like i really really like this cast and it's a cast that could only exist in 2004 like it's the most 2004 cast for a movie ever yes i love them and yeah you're totally right they feel i don't it's weird Sometimes the acting makes it seem like some of them don't want to be there, but the, <laughs> but the gang themselves, they, they do kind of feel like, yeah, they enjoy being who they are and they enjoy being solving mysteries and hanging out. I think my, my, one of my favorite line deliveries was Velma um, from Linda Cardellini, who is amazing and incredible in this role. And it's right when Patrick shows up at their Mystery Inc. headquarters and they're doing this whole like, you know, the pterodactyl seal had randomonium. Doesn't randomonium glow? Wh- how would he get randomonium? It's in the silver mines. Well, that means old man Wickles is blah, blah, blah. And they're like, they're solving a thing. And it's yeah. like this, they're building up this grand moment. And then she immediately is like, ah! And she drops to the floor, like, ro- like ro- <laughs> rolls over the couch, and it's Patrick, and she just pops up, and she's like, get rid of him! And it, there's just something about that line delivery that I'm like, yes, absolutely nailed it. And it's... It, some of these actors, man, they they went above and beyond in these roles, and it's uh, it's very fun to watch. 
Yeah, this is this group is kind of um, just the Avengers of like uh, late '90s, early 2000s, like teen fame. Because you have Sarah Michelle Gellar, who's yeah. of course Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Of course, you have Seth Green, who was also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, playing Buffy's nerdy friend's boyfriend. So that's a funny connection. There you go. Uh, you have Linda Cardellini, who, of course, was the star of Freaks and Geeks, which mm-hmm. was like the big underappreciated at the time, uh, like teen drama. That was great. And, you know, Freddie Prince Jr., who was a huge teen star at the time, too. And Matthew mm-hmm. Lillard, who was in Scream. I mean, you know, you just you got all your teen bases covered. All the you all the stuff all. that was big at the time. You got a uh, Batgirl from Batman and Robin. Oh uh, yeah, forgot about that. And I mean, Clueless, right? Yeah, yeah that would so be that's... that would be the one that most people would would know her from. <laughs> but like for me, I was like, oh, it's Batgirl. Yeah, for sure. It's super weird that Alicia Silverstone is in this movie and plays such a small part in this movie. Yeah, because like- at the time, like this is like on the down slope of her, like career like uh batman and robin i think it's kind of uh it kind of sucks because i don't think batman and robin had a real negative effect on like george clooney's career or like arnold schwarzenegger's career or anything Mm -hmm. but she got really like hammered in the uh like by critics and stuff for her performance in that movie which i understand but also like you know everything about that movie was batman and robin so to single yeah. out her seems a little mean. Yeah. But yeah, this was like the waning days of Alicia Silverstone being a big name. And so it was just kind of weird to see her here because I almost consider her from like a different, not generation, but like, oh, Alicia Silverstone. She was still a thing in 2004. Weird, you know? Yeah, yeah. it is strange. And like... I will say this though they, they there's like a kind of a, a a trope almost where when you have a big mystery story usually the person who did it is like the most famous actor right, right? yeah and I will give them credit and for the fact that they tried their best to like make all of the different people the suspects like kind of recognizable people so that it was kind of an even except for ned who like didn't get any lines in the movie (laughs) at all until the line about like but we cuddled you know yeah yeah that was a that was really like why loop ned into it i guess just because they needed someone who was standing on top of the building while uh, daphne was talking to alicia silverstone yeah, I guess they figured it was too ob like the the fact that it was the evil mean reporter lady was too obvious, and they're like, well, we have to throw people off the the scent trail. But I don't know the fact that it was an improv thing. Um, I I don't know. I feel like it would have made her question it even still. Like it would have made alicia silverstone's character be like what but she just acted like oh yeah totally normal totally normal thing (laughs) but i don't know i mean alicia silverstone's character was tim blake nelson the whole time so i mean i guess i can't take any of her reactions to anything at face value you know maybe the reactions just don't 
show through the face mask. <laughs> through the latex mask. Yeah. Which, man, he must have paid top dollar for that because that was so some, some good work. Good. Until the scene where they take off the mask and then it's clearly a mask. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, I, I commented on this, I think, in the last episode. But, like, they did the same kind of face mask reveal thing in the first movie with uh, Mondavarius, but it looked better because um, they they unmasked him and he was a robot. But it, it looked more believable then. This looked like, when they cut back to it, it just looked like the grossest rubbery <laughs> mask thing. Yeah, it's like when they are printing the masks in um, the Mission Impossible movies versus when they actually put them on. Yeah, that's exactly right. Ugh. Um, I wish Tim Blake Nelson had been in this more because, you know, he's like amazing and uh oh brother art thou holes a ton of other stuff oh, like yeah. he can ham it up with the best of them so i would have liked to see him get a little more scenery to chew yeah it would be in fact i actually don't know who did the body work for the evil masked figure but it would have been cool if it was him but i bet yeah i wonder i bet it wasn't i bet he came in for a day and was like yeah okay yeah. guys i got a coen brothers movie to shoot yeah. after this so i, I bet I bet it was just if it was because I don't even think it was Alicia Silverstone either. Like they probably just got some person to some do stunt it. guy. Yeah, I liked that guy's body language. It reminded me of uh, like Doctor Doom in the Corman uh, Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, it was just, so dramatic and kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah, like very Doctor Doom ish. When he was w- when he first made his appearance on the windowsill thing, which is still confusing to me, but whatever. (laughs) Um, And he does like the hand gesture of like, this time it is you who will be unmasked. And it's like, (laughs) he throws his arms back and it's just, ah, it's so good. Or even like, yeah, at the scene when Ned has the costume and then the evil mask figure arrives on the roof and it's like, mystery incorporated. (laughs) It's just so over the top and amazing. And I love it. Yeah. And who's, is Ned voicing him that time? Man, there's just so many questions, you know, this still retains its a mystery box core, I guess. Yeah. I, you know, you're not wrong. There are still tons of, uh, tons of unanswered questions. I, I think, I don't know if I was making the movie and I, I wanted to keep all that in, I would try to make the evil mask figure less confident at that moment. Cause it was like Ned just trying to cover for uh Heather Jasper. Right. And, but instead it just was like, you know, it, that grand old mystery. And like, we don't know too much about Ned at all up until that point. We don't really know about him until it's revealed that he helped her. So I don't know. I would I would try to play that in a way that made it kind of like you could pick up on like oh interesting he's got different body language. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the director just like doesn't care about that and clearly <laughs> cares more about like uh, Shaggy and Scooby getting into hijinks. As you um, do, which yeah. man the those scenes. Um, I'm going to be honest. Like I like Matthew Lillard's performance as Shaggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, some of those comedy bits, ugh, those went on forever. Yeah, like which ones? I wonder. Uh, you know, like the body changing one. That uh, yeah. yeah. I-, I read on IMDb that you know when he transforms into maybe you touched on this already. Yeah, when he transforms into the Tasmanian Devil. 
originally mm-hmm. he was supposed to turn into 2D Scooby Doo. Really? And I didn't the know that. Yeah, and the producers apparently looked at that and said, oh, we don't want the audience comparing 2D Scooby-Doo to 3D Scooby-Doo because 3D Scooby-Doo doesn't look that great. So let's not invite that comparison and have them change into something else instead, which they just stuck in Tasmanian Devil since Warner Brothers obviously owns the Looney Tunes. That's interesting. I didn't know. I didn't know that. That's Yeah, uh... that's... That's what I was reading on IMDb, and I believe it because, yeah, uh, the the CG in this has not aged super well. Um, but <laughs> I will I, I say this every time because it, it's it's brought up a lot, and for good reason. But the one that I will give a pass to is the ten thousand volt ghost, which I thought looked perfectly fine even by today's standards. Oh yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, everything else. Not the best. Uh, yeah, like Scooby kind of... I don't know. I felt like this movie was too ambitious with their effects. Like, instead of having a big tar monster, which looks like garbage, why not throw more money into making Scooby look better? Or, I don't know, maybe it was just a limitation of the technology. And it's like, that's literally as best as it's going to get. Yeah. yeah, you know, what they got... What they were generally smart about is how the rest of the cast interacts with Scooby in which, like, they usually don't. If you notice, like, who usually ever touches Scooby-Doo is uh, Matthew Lillard. And I think they did a ton of work with him to figure out exactly how he can interact with, you know, I I don't think there was even a guy with uh, ping pong balls on his face like back then. Yeah. Like this is pre. Well, no, it's not pre, but it's like when they were filming this, like the whole like Gollum uh, thing in Lord of the Rings, that was still like ongoing. They this was clearly from this was more of the Jar Jar Binks school of CG where (laughs) there's just nothing there except a guy maybe in a costume and they're barely like tracking that motion like there's the scene where he uh lifts up um scooby's tail so that scooby can uh fart at the uh the minor yeah um classic and, scene good comedy and i was paying very very close attention i was like okay does his hand motion like actually track with like what he's grabbing here and Mm -hmm. i was pretty impressed at least that they got that right like that's something that is really really easy to screw up in a lot of these early cg movies um but scooby himself just yeah doesn't look that great um yeah there i think for me there were a couple interaction moments that didn't look great the one that sticks out the most to me every time i see it is when they first discover they it's right after they interact with the skeleton men the first time when they're doing that like classic scooby-doo where they're like crossing in front of the windows and uh, oh yeah and yeah it's right after that and they get scared and scooby runs into the uh, pickaxes that activate a trap door and shaggy picks up scooby and i think something must have happened where they didn't coordinate it well because I mean, and to their credit, it, it sounds challenging. You have to grab Scooby, at, who's, like, hanging onto this pickaxe 
at a weird angle and Matthew Lillard has to try in motion to pick him up and like bring him to the elevator. And like, there's something about that transition of him picking (laughs) picking him up off of the pickaxe and like putting him into the elevator that looks bad. Like it's the worst tracking that they've, that they did now to his credit, when he puts Scooby in the elevator, he does a really good job of trying to sell the weight of how heavy Scooby is by like throwing his body down and everything. And that part looks good, but it's just the initial picking up of Scooby that just looks not great in my opinion. Yeah. I'm sure this, that was just really hard to do like this whole time. And I'm not really, I'm not really sure because I have they still make those live action straight to Cartoon Network movies, right? I don't know. They haven't made one in a while, I don't think. Uh, But yeah, they made at least two that I know of. Yeah. And I think part of the reason they switched over to doing um, what didn't they make a movie that was just Daphne and Velma or something? (laughs) They sure did. I think a part of why they did that is just because doing the CG for Scooby-Doo is like a huge pain in the ass. Probably. Uh, it was probably, I, I've had some people, I, I've heard some people speculate that it's also just like a rights thing where it's like, well, we have to make a Scooby-Doo movie at some point, but I don't, I don't know if that, that doesn't sound like it's true. Cause they're, they're treating it like it's a, um, like the like the whole Spider Man thing where it's like Sony yeah had to keep doing, but like but that but was like just, doesn't that was just because Sony was like licensing it from Marvel or like you know that was like a part of their whole contract but like Warner Brothers just has Scooby Doo so it doesn't really make sense that they would need to do that yeah I think they just um no kids will buy anything with Scooby Doo on it and well, just periodically will I certainly did. Oh yeah, how was that movie? Was it was it as good as this one? Better. No, it was garbage. It was absolute garbage. <laughs> well, I really like uh Vilma and Daphne in this movie. I will say that that scene where uh where Seth Green shows up and the one you mentioned yes. uh and Velma runs away and hides and Daphne goes and finds her. Daphne's being a really good friend in that scene and giving her absolutely terrible advice. But at least she's trying to be a good friend. <laughs> she's try- she's helping in the way that she knows how. In her, in her very <laughs> yes. Daphne ways. I The thing that like continues to bother me is the when she's like, I think you're really scared of intimacy with another person. And like that line alone, great. The follow-up line of, and by intimacy, I mean someone who thinks you're really hot is not a good line because, like, it just it even just doesn't make sense in the context of that sentence. Like, if you were to replace intimacy with someone who thinks you're really hot, then it's like, oh, I know what you're really afraid of. You're afraid of someone who thinks you're really hot with another person. And, like, that yeah. doesn't make sense. I, I don't think that whole subplot would go over very well today, no. like in a kid's movie. I think, you know, someone would be like, let's rethink how we uh, how we write this scene. You don't think the line, who's your mommy, would make it into <laughs> modern cinema? Yeah, that was, that was a very, I don't know. A lot of the humor in this movie kind of reminds me of the uh humor in the shrek movies of where it's like oh this is this is uh a kid's movie but these lines are just the funny stuff for adults and it's usually like more juvenile than what would actually be in like a really good kids movie like toy story or something yeah 
there's this very kind of like DreamWorks, early DreamWorks uh, vibe to the joke writing in this movie, which can be kind of off-putting if the cast didn't sell it so well. Yeah, it, it is. The humor is kind of all over the place to me. Um, there, because, yeah, go for it. Uh, there was some lines in this that just felt so, like, classically James Gunn to me in a really good way. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite parts in the whole movie was um, uh, when Shaggy and Scooby are hiding in the bushes. And what's his name? Old Man McGinley. Or oh, Wickles, yeah. Wickles. Yeah. Just turns around and goes darn bushes yowling at me again that was just a kind of absurdist touch that yeah you could just see in like any james gunn movie yeah and that i really liked that there were jokes like that that were very funny to me um another previous guest i had pointed out that at the beginning when velma is talking to patrick for the first time and they're talking about how villains use pronouns differently um that actually happens at least twice throughout the movie where a villain will intentionally use a, a wrong pronoun because it plays into that joke in the beginning. But like, who's going to catch that except like linguists, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting when you get into it and you start looking for stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's, and then like, I, I rewatched the first movie a couple uh, days ago and you might remember this cause it happened pretty early on, but like, they scoop Scooby and Shaggy make like some sort of enema joke in, in the beginning. And yeah, I find, I don't know. I find a lot of that stuff kind of off putting. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's like, it's again, it's like doing this thing where they want to do like humor for adults, but it's, it's, I don't know. It just doesn't quite fit in the way that like other smarter kids comedies would like write jokes for adults that aren't as, I don't know, jarring, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a a difference between like, oh, this is a uh this is an edgier joke in a kids movie and like this is just a good joke. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it it feels like they are kind of want to be like, "Hey, this isn't your grandpa's Scooby-Doo. This is this is edgy Scooby-Doo." And it's like nobody asked for edgy Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I like that. Just who who asked for this? Yeah, because like Scooby Doo is good in and like I don't know the edgiest I'm willing to go with with Scooby Doo would be like Mystery Inc. Where the edge wasn't in the humor so much. The edge was in the actual story and how it got dark and serious at some times. But Scooby and like everyone still acted like themselves and they never for these movies that are trying it feels like they're trying so hard to be like, you know, like you were saying the edgy version, there's just, there's so much that just doesn't quite fit into there. That's so overtly for children. And I bring up the fart jokes a lot. So I apologize to everyone, but the fart jokes are one thing because they've never been present in Scooby-Doo cartoons. No, not Um, at all. But another one is just like the crazy over the top, um, acting, not acting necessarily, but just the way that the characters are sometimes like when Scooby and Shaggy find the clue about the faux ghost and then they just break out into like this really loud long dance that goes on for like 20 seconds and it's like that's is that meant yeah. to be funny I don't it makes the cartoon characters from Scooby-Doo look 
subtle in comparison yeah. to this movie, which is crazy because, you know, there's a lot of things you can do about say about Scooby-Doo, and I didn't think subtlety would ever be one of them, <laughs> but compared to these movies, that kind of are. Yeah, I don't know. There's... It's it's so weird to me that I guess Scooby-Doo humor from, like, the cartoons is a very specific kind of humor. I think it's a lot of... It's sometimes just wordplay and just kind of, like, silly jokes, and there's a lot of physical stuff with it, and... Yeah, and, and you know something that I kind of appreciate about that that original show was when that came out, like one of the most popular shows on TV, or just at least had been, was the '60s Batman, right? Yeah. And I feel like at least in Fred's performance in that in the original cartoon, there was kind of an Adam West vibe to it. Of like the whole joke is that he will he will say anything like very seriously he like yeah fred fred is a guy that's very earnest and is very like oh he's very committed to getting to the bottom of the mystery but the joke is what he's like saying and talking about is so ridiculous just like 60s batman that it makes it funny whereas in this they like turn it up to 11 and he's just kind of like a huge douchebag which isn't like fred isn't a douchebag like he he just isn't i yeah. He's he's a little clueless sometimes, but he's not I don't know, they bring a lot of like that like oh yeah, what's funny about our Scooby-Doo is like all these characters have the traits that kind of people have brought to them over the years turn that weren't really there that much and just turned up to 11, you know. Yeah, I think so. And I I feel like it was also trying to put more character development or more personality into characters that maybe the writers didn't think had that much going on. Yeah. Cause even Daphne was very confusing uh, to me because my interpretation of Daphne, especially more modern stuff is she's the true leader of the group. She just pretends she just lets Fred pretend that he is, uh, sure. you know, cause he is a bit of an ego and he wants to be a leader, but in these movies and she, even in these movies, she constantly helps everybody else out. But, um, yeah, like they I guess they just didn't know what her place was, so they even made that a part of the plot like oh, she's just the pretty face and whatever. And there I don't know, there were I, there were lots of mixed uh lines that made it sound like is she really smart? Is she dumb? I don't know. Every cuz even Fred like was acted very dumb, but they gave him some smart lines as well about like talking about the randomonium and like how to reverse the the signal and like track things and like i don't know so everyone everyone was exactly as smart or dumb as the plot (laughs) needed to them to be yeah sarah michelle geller's uh performance in this movie is really interesting because it alternates between kind of a more cartoonish version of buffy of like you know a very like self-assured like smart person in some scenes uh like the the original concept of Buffy is that everyone underestimates her, right? Because her name is Buffy and she's like a blonde cheerleader, but really she's uh, like a really um, like intelligent person who gets stuff done. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's some of that in Daphne here too, but then also there's the scenes where Daphne is uh, really dumb and goofy. 
reminded me of uh, there's actually a arc in Buffy where Buffy is replaced with a robot who the rest of the group is trying to pass off to do vampires and demons as the real Buffy so they won't know that the real Buffy is gone. Yeah. Um, and that allows Sarah Michelle Geller to be like really play really goofy. And her performance as Daphne in this remind me a ton of that Buffy bot performance. Oh, wow. That's of interesting. Just, yeah, of just like kind of really, really ditzy and clueless. But then it's weird because Daphne's not like that in the whole movie. Like you were saying, it's always just as much as the scene calls for. Yes. It's very inconsistent. Yeah, because she's the one that like gets them out of the trap, which I think is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, but then, because then there's... The, the One of the scenes that I just hate, like it's not even a scene, it's just a small interaction that I hate is... When they first arrive at the like rundown amusement park or mine or something, and she asks Fred, like, "Am I just a pretty face?" And he's like, "No, I mean, yes, I mean, not fat, definitely not fat. Is that kind of what you're looking for?" And then she just kind of is like, "Fat? Why would you even use that word?" And it just feels like. It, that's not like her reaction to that is not the Daphne that we've seen up to that point in the film. I, I don't yeah. Think. W- what that was, was like 2004 joke writer Tron. Like it just felt like you could have stuck that joke into any broad studio comedy at the time. Yeah. And it's just one of those, like one of those really lazy go-to punchlines that you know, would be in a Snickers commercial in the, yeah, in the early two thousands. Exactly right. Like, yeah. Um, and there was a lot of that here. Like James Gunn, who wrote the scripts, uh, like you can tell in his early work, like what the paycheck work was and what the stuff he was actually passionate about was oh, like, yeah. you look at the script of a uh, slither, Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you seen Slither? It's uh, Nathan Fillion plays like a small town sheriff, and there's these aliens that uh, it's kind of an invasion of the body snatchers type thing, like gross out horror comedy. Yeah. You know, I've always meant to to check it out, but I never have. I got to do that. Yeah, well, the humor in that is a lot funnier and a lot stranger than the a, a lot more unique. You know, you're not going to find a lot of those just like plug in lazy jokes. Yeah. And I feel like here he was like, okay, well, we just need to stick in the elements of that this that the studio would expect from a movie like this, you know, just really broad jokes like that, like the CG um, skeleton guys. Yeah. What those really reminded me of was um, the silly droids in like Attack of the Clones. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, those feel straight out of that. It, in terms of how unrealistic they look in the environment, too. Like, this is just, and I, I guess I keep stressing this, the most 2004 movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, man, you're absolutely right. Because even like, yeah, they're just there for comedy. They don't even, do like all the other ghosts are at least scary all the other ghosts and monsters are, are some sort of threat like there's one that breathes fire there's one that fires harpoons at you there's one that's a tar and, monster that can just suffocate you if you wanted to 
a lot of them were in this show too. Like yes. I remember my my favorite uh, monster as a kid was in this, which was the um, uh, what's his? I I can only describe his costume. I don't remember his name. The the deep sea diver guy. Yeah, Captain Cutler. Yeah. Oh, he was always my favorite Scooby Doo villain as a kid. Like oh, him man. coming out of the ocean in that first appearance in the cartoon so always scary. really scared me, and I I really remember liking that character. Um, yes. And it was super exciting when I was a kid seeing him in this movie. But these two skeletons, like, not only are they not from the old cartoons, mm-hmm. they don't really even. Because I don't think all of those villains are, but they don't even fit in with the tone of no. anything that would have been in those cartoons. Yeah. I don't. Because uh, I don't think the cotton candy glob was. I could be mistaken about that. I don't think it, that was from the cartoons either. But, yeah, but that feels like it kind of that, could have it, it, but, been a gag. Yes, and I do think that the payoff with that was way better. Um, yeah. Like, the, the skeletons didn't really have a... They didn't serve much of a purpose other than, well, we need another monster here. And The skeletons yeah. are so inconsequential that if you told me that they added them in post, like, they were like, okay, we need to juice up the laughs in this a little bit yeah. and also we need something to put into um i don't know like burger king kids meals uh like they could have like added those after the movie like the rest of the cast barely ever acknowledges that they exist so like i th- think there's some stuff with scooby maybe but they yeah they're yeah so they i they they mention them at the museum when they're talk when they're giving everyone the tour and like Daphne, oh, okay. Daphne says, like the skeleton men and even the dreaded pterodactyl ghost. Uh, so they're vaguely, yeah, they're just kind of shown there, but they look a lot different because apparently, you know, obviously, if you're a person in a costume trying to look like a skeleton, then you're just <laughs> you're just wearing a black shirt with like bones on it, you know? Like, yeah, I don't know who those uh, who the skeleton twins were originally supposed to be. I want to see those the the non real monster version of those characters because that wouldn't make any sense. I loved a lot of the design, like the ten thousand volt ghost design of like the real life costume looked really interesting and kind of weird and crazy to me uh yeah the 10,000 volt ghost um he reminded me of another character i i'm trying to remember man i guess this is just a total dead end but i swear to god there was something just like that in like a 70s spider-man comic like oh you're talking yeah like yeah visually because i know i've had i've had other people say that the and i i still haven't fact checked this so sorry everybody but the voice sounds really like starscream from transformers oh yeah and i i'm curious if that if those if it's the same actor but who knows um, but I just wanted to circle back really quickly because you'd mentioned as a joke, like a Burger King's kids meal. And I don't know if you noticed the all the KFC product placement in this movie. Um, and uh, wasn't it Dairy Queen in one scene at the very beginning? Uh, it was still KFC. But, oh, OK. But this is the interesting thing. Um, you can tell if you look closely and if you watch this movie for nine days, like I have so far, <laughs> um, that they changed it in post. So like Matthew Lillard is holding the cup and it says KFC, but because they didn't, they had to change it in post, uh, to put the KFC logo on it. And you can tell because when Scooby throws it at the chauffeur, um, that 
it if you freeze frame it, it's actually a Burger King cup, uh, and not interesting, and not KFC. And adding to the to more speculation, there's another scene where they pull up to Wickles Manor. Oh, and that really badly 80-yard line that Shaggy has, right? Yes, and he says, why don't we ever investigate a KFC or something? Yeah. And yeah, I definitely, that that I noticed. So, you know what's way more interesting than that? Or uh, not way more, but it adds to the intrigue of it. If you watch that scene with subtitles, it says Burger King not kfc oh wow it must have been a really last minute edition it must have been and i'm trying to get to the bottom of it i'm trying <laughs> to understand what went wrong with burger king or what went incredibly right with kfc that they had <laughs> that they were just like sorry burger king we are kfc now um i swear the first movie had a massive tie-in with dairy queen like i i distinctly remember that i'm from like a really small town and i the burger or dairy queen was a pretty pretty big deal and i just remember dairy queen scooby-doo everything for that first movie and uh, yeah i don't know they must have jumped ship first to burger king and then abandoned that for kfc yeah i i want to know whose end fell through on that like if burger (laughs) burger king was like now we're not gonna do it and then KFC or yeah. Or if like, yeah, Scooby-Doo was like, I bet we could get more money from KFC. Like they, they introduced the villain of chicken Stein in the museum. And it's like, Hey, KFC, we have a villain with chicken in the title. You want in on this? <laughs> Man. Yeah. And honestly, a KFC seems like a weird choice for Scooby-Doo. Cause yeah. like, uh, you know, I picture Shaggy and Scooby eating like sandwiches and stuff, which kind of works for Burger King. KFC is just like so out of left field. Like since when do they love KFC? Yeah. Especially because like there's this whole thing and it's left unclear, but Shaggy is supposed to be a vegetarian. Oh, right. Yeah. I I think, did you make a video about that? I sure did. Yeah, that's where I've heard of that before then, is your video about it. Yeah, Shaggy is supposed to be a vegetarian, and these movies leave it ambiguous because he does reference meat sometimes. Like, in the first movie, he references, like, pastrami-flavored ice cream. In this movie, he mentions, uh, like, a weenie roast where they're the weenies. But, you know, those are just those are just references. We never see, sure. we never see him eat meat to my knowledge yeah he's never sitting down at a steakhouse right the only there's the first movie where they're in the fake kitchen and he's eating he's like trying to eat his way through plastic meat but i don't think that counts because it's plastic (laughs) um but yeah so i think i don't know it's i had another friend of mine on a couple days ago who is a vegetarian and he was saying like well maybe they were trying to go with burger king because burger king is one of the only fast food restaurants that has a veggie burger or like stuff for vegetarians but kfc what that would be nice but that would be nice but i guarantee you that uh warner brothers does not give a crap about shaggy's vegetarianism too far in there but i i just want to this could maybe be the i don't know if you have extra stuff to talk about but i really want to you you sparked an interesting theory in my head from a couple minutes ago that's been brewing and i think i've put the pieces together so you talk about the skeleton men and how maybe they were just added in post yeah and what i'm what i think is interesting is they spend 
a, like a fraction of a second establishing the skeleton men in the museum in the beginning, but they make it a point to talk about Chickenstein. And so what if in post it was originally going to be Chickenstein, but they <laughs> couldn't get it to look great? I guess the CGI version of it. So they're just like, well, we also talked about skeleton men briefly. So let's just do skeleton men instead. Like that would be interesting to me if secretly this whole time it was meant originally to be chicken stein. Yeah. Cause there's no payoff with chicken stein. <laughs> they, they set no, it not up at all. and it's like, maybe they just thought it was a funny name, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, we you need to interview like someone that worked on this movie and get to the bottom of all these i okay so i i bring this up and well thankfully uh, the guests have been bringing it up lately and i appreciate it but i say this every time the ultimate goal of this podcast is to get someone who worked on this movie interviewed on here it doesn't matter who they are they could work in any uh any part of the production i just want to talk to them so and i'm never gonna stop saying that until it happens so we're on day (laughs) nine everyone reach out to everyone that you can think of you should um i mean maybe on like imdb pro or something you could get uh gosnell the director you know yeah because what i'm i'm looking at what he's he's still working he's done uh the smurfs and the smurfs too heck yeah uh, Beverly Hills Chihuahua, Show Dogs. Like, he's never stopped making wow. movies kind of like this, you yeah, know? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, he really seems to like dog movies. <laughs> he does. He likes dog movies and kids' movies. He, yeah. His first movie was Home Alone 3. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's unfortunate. But then his next one was Never Been Kissed, which I think counts as his most mature. Yeah, sure movie then big mama's house then scooby-doo one heck so it was big mama's house that got him scooby-doo one probably yeah that landed him incredible (laughs) yeah i Um, i would love to i would love to interview anyone the director would be awesome and do you know why they didn't follow this up with another one like it made 181 million dollars worldwide i don't know i think maybe it was just i in my head, I want to say that the actors just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, Maybe. I don't know. They're, I think all of those actors would have signed up yeah, for more. Because they're still voicing them on, like, anytime Robot Chicken needs something. They, they, always, yeah. they always get that, that cast. And, of course, Matthew Lillard is the voice of Shaggy in the cartoons nowadays. And even Linda Cardellini was in... Um, mystery incorporated but not as velma as hot dog water so oh interesting yeah yeah um i don't know it's like they i saw an interview with matthew lillard where he said that the movie just kind of like disappointed at the box office and it's like warner brothers like how much more money than 181 million can you expect the scooby-doo franchise to make like that that seems (laughs) what was the budget as well do we know it can't be more than like, you know, uh, no offense to Mr. Gosnell, who I'm sure uh, used his oh resources well, but there's no way this movie costs more than like $30 million, right? You're, like, you're really close. It costs $25 million. Exactly. That seems like exactly what 
this movie looked and felt like it cost. It made like yeah, it made like o- over seven times as much as it. Come on, Warner Brothers, where's our Scooby Doo three? Scooby Doo well, three, it, Monsters Unleashed two. That's what I want. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I I really don't understand why they would just like. Because it was also better received than the first one. I mean, it didn't make as much money because I feel like people felt like they got burnt by the first one. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, the people that did see it, I think it has slightly better, like, Rotten Tomato scores and stuff. I don't know. Just, yeah, you know, it's a, it was a franchise snuffed out before its time. Yeah. And the first, do you want, do you want, uh, do you want to know what the uh, numbers are for the first movie? Sure. So, it had a budget of 84 million dollars oh my god like, that's insane insane i no wish. offense to scooby-doo but no scooby-doo anything should ever cost 85 million dollars so i th- i think most of that money probably went to the set design because they had these huge sweeping sets uh, yeah and uh this movie uh, the, the second one they tried to do i don't know the sets weren't as impressive with the exception of um the wickles manor which i love so much it's it just looks like it's straight out of a cartoon and their headquarters is pretty good but yeah all these movies have uh pretty good set design like for for kids movies they're very evocative of the cartoons i don't really like that the gang is apparently like really rich and has their own headquarters or something that seems very strange to me but that's i feel like that's canon though because like daphne comes from a super wealthy family and usually oh sure usually she like helps fund the operation i feel but yeah i was gonna say how do they make their money (laughs) like it's up in the air i like to think that that daphne is just like the investor in the group and everyone else just kind of solves mysteries for the benefit of society without worrying too much about yeah in return well if they ever reboot it they need to have crowdfunded scooby gang you know Ooh. where we see their kickstarter page yeah. or their uh, not kickstarter their patreon page that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> people supporting their uh, their mystery solving oh man uh, I would love that, like a modern day sort of a thing. Um, but also, just for anyone who wants to know, the the uh, how much it made the first movie um, was two hundred and seventy five million dollars. So, even, yeah, I even, mean that's definitely a lot better than the first, but it also cost more. Yeah, it cost more. It made more, but the fact that the second one still made one hundred and eighty one million dollars is incredible. yeah which i'm really surprised that they haven't tried to like put this franchise back into theaters with a new cast yet because i don't it seems like with reboots and stuff they're like constantly scraping the bottom of the barrel yeah (laughs) and you know scooby-doo is at bottom of the barrel it's at least mid-barrel why wouldn't they give why wouldn't they give this another go Uh, scooby-doo mid-barrel franchise i love it (laughs) yeah exactly i 100 percent agree i think they're trying to do another movie there's one scheduled for 2020 but i believe it's animated so um yeah that would make sense and you know like that's probably the right move honestly like yeah it, it was always kind of weird that these were live action because so much of the 
what's enjoyable about Scooby-Doo is like how they run and you know just yeah i mean the animation was really stiff but it was very distinct and yeah and cartoonish and fun and uh i did appreciate that they use the uh that amazing sound effect from the original cartoon the you know when like shaggy and scooby are getting ready to run but they haven't quite taken off yet yeah yeah, they, they snuck that into uh, into this. Yeah, they sure and did. That that was when he was like trying to get the disc in midair or something. Yes. Yeah. I love that so much. <laughs> uh, so just in case you wanted to know, um, the uh, the the writers and directors or, or the people behind the the 2020 movie um, are Dax Shepard is the. I guess one of the directors and one of the writers. Oh, so yeah, that's um, fun. Yeah. I mean, nothing against Dak Shepard, uh, but he did just make the chips movie, mm-hmm. uh, which was like maybe one of the worst movies I've seen recently. <laughs> so, um, uh, but one of the other directors that it says on IMDb is I'm going to miss. I've never pronounced this name out loud. Um, but Tony Cervone or Cervone, the who also did animation stuff for like I guess uh, Space Jam and other cool stuff. So oh okay, that would be kind of interesting to see. Yeah, if that Space Jam two is a big thing, there's almost no way that they don't bring this back yeah. to right. Oh like, for sure. Um, those just feel like related in my head for some reason yeah no yeah i feel like they have to i mean yeah i don't know i just uh, we'll we'll go i i i'm all set for another scooby-doo movie but we'll have to see i i don't this is one of those movies where i won't believe that it's actually being made until (laughs) i see like a trailer for it or anything like the gambit movie like yeah, yeah that's totally getting made for sure they should uh, cross over and just have a Gambit Scooby Doo movie. Oh yeah, Marvel, you know? Disney and Warner Brothers teaming up. <laughs> it's, it's, or they should, yeah. or they could fit Scooby Doo into this new Sony Spider Man universe. I mean, they Ooh. seem willing to just do whatever. Just do it. Just put Scooby Doo in there. It's so interesting. I, I had another episode where somebody talked about how they thought Venom could be like in this same universe as these Scooby-Doo <laughs> movies. Cause it like, they, they feel like they exist as early two thousands things. And I, they do, I was yeah. like, what if the, what if a bit of the tar monster didn't go all the way away? <laughs> and like, that was the sim, the symbiote that they were using. Yeah. I'm uh, making a video about venom this week. And I actually like really enjoyed that movie for what it was like it was so goofy that's and what i hear i haven't had a chance to see it i've been watching scooby-doo every day <laughs> yeah you've been watching scooby-doo every day um but yeah it's it was like such a strange um it, it did feel like from this era more than our current one like these days i feel like franchise filmmaking is how studios think about movies yeah so all of these franchises are so brand managed now right like marvel does it the best but they're very very uh they put a lot of effort into making sure that their franchises every piece of every new film is a piece of brand management which sounds really cynical 
but it's true like even when they put out a great movie it's it's always like okay people are getting tired of thor we need to kind of revitalize it in an interesting way that still keeps its core cast but also puts a new spin on it that will make sure the franchise can sustain itself you know they're right. always very smart about that kind of thing venom doesn't feel like that at all venom feels like they were like what is this a goo guy uh, all right all right let's do the goo guy <laughs> I love that. I am so excited to see it eventually. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can bring myself to see it in theaters. Just not be, not as like any sort of stance, but just because like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I could just watch it at home at some point and not really need, not miss anything. See, I see all of these things in theaters now and like going to see all these comic book movies is like really stressful. Cause I'm like, ah, I gotta think of something interesting to say about this yeah. next week. <laughs> Well, hey, that's a great segue into plugging uh, your channel again. How, what, where's, oh, sure. where's that at and where can people find that? Yeah, it's just, you know, youtube.com slash Captain Midnight. Um, I put out a video every Thursday and uh, yeah, the, I just had one about the Joker uh, that was pretty well received. Uh, enjoyable enjoyable video i think uh so yeah if you want to check that out i i tend to cover a lot of movies kind of like either reviews or from the uh place of like what's my ideal version of this that i would like to see um i i really enjoy thinking about like how i would approach making these movies if i was in charge of them because i don't know we're all working from the same framework like us and the filmmakers now of like the history that comes with all these characters. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun to kind of think about like, how could you plug in these ingredients that already exist into something that like feels fresh? Um, And I kind of try to uh, talk about that in, in my videos quite a bit. And also sometimes I just review movies because that's fun too. Heck yeah. So go check that out. We'll have links in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on. If we could just wrap it up. Um, everyone should watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer if you like Daphne in this movie because yeah. it's a great show. I guess that's that's it. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I would highly recommend it as well. Um, and yeah, if... Uh, if you want more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Nicewander. I'll be posting thoughts and updates, and especially if you are also watching this movie as much as I am, um, I would love to know where your head is at currently on day Do you nine. think there's anyone out there in the world that's watching this movie as much as you are? Yes. There's at least... There's got to be one. There's at least one, because I know there's one, um, because, oh, okay. because they're tweeting at me. So if you're also one, nice. also tweet at me. Um but yeah, holy cow, thanks for all of the great reviews uh, of this podcast on iTunes. I really appreciate all of you who are doing that uh, and all of you listeners. I keep saying this, but we we have way more people listening than I thought originally uh, I would get for this uh, podcast. So thanks so much. And um, yeah, if you know any other cool uh, internet people, I still have like 20 something days to fill up this podcast. Oh, man. Send them my way. It'll be a fun time. Um, we do have some fun guests coming up, so please stay in there. Hang in there with us. Um, and, of course, the ultimate goal to try and get one person from the movie to come on and talk about it. 
we'll see how that goes. Um, I think you can do it. I believe in you. I think so, too. You know, it's only day nine. We have a couple more weeks to go. I think we, I think we could do it. Um, but other than that, would you like to join me in our, in our best scooby dooby doo as we end this oh, podcast? Oh, man. This is, this is going to be tough, but I'll give it a try. The, the, just so you know, the timing never works out because of like <laughs> slight internet delays, but that's okay. I edit it in post anyway. So, are you ready? Here we go. Scooby-Dooby-Doo!